as you open Matthew 28, let's pray. Well, Jesus, we come before you, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we need you. You say to us in, in John 15 that without you, we can do nothing. Lord, and we recognize that now. We can't change our hearts. We can't change our lives. We can't love others without you. And so we just ask that you'd give us a spirit of humility before your word, that you would um, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to take a, a little break in the book of Acts this week. Many of you are used to, if I'm up here, I'm talking about missions, and really nothing's going to change. I'm just going to talk about missions for a little bit longer <laughs> than usual, uh, just doing an announcement. I get to serve in the missions ministry here, so you better believe we're going to be talking about some great commission. I just wanted to kind of put it before you that we, as a church, have the honor of supporting, launching, and sending 27 missionaries and their families. That is a lot, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. And it's not just one of us, it's all of us, right, that, that come together, and even other churches that come together and support these guys and allow, uh, the Lord allows them to go and be where he's called them to be. And we even have more on the horizon, right? The Posadas family is getting ready to move next year to Ecuador. And really, we could talk for hours about how to determine uh, if or where the Lord is calling each of us to go. Uh, we could talk about what it means to send missionaries. Uh, and if you're interested at any point, I would love if you would come up and talk with me. We, again, we have 27 going on 28 missionary families. That's a lot of them, right, in many different places throughout the world. Um, if you want to know right, who's out there, where they're at, what they're doing, how you can pray for them, how you can come alongside them financially, uh, please do come up and talk with me. Uh, we also have right here, uh, when you walk out these doors to the right, there will be a TV with a slideshow that's going on, and that'll give you some information on our missionaries, and there's a QR code. You can basically get all you need, newsletters, contact, things like that. And we also have uh, on the church's YouTube page a whole Sunday sessions series on uh, missions. And what you can do is you can either go there later, just search Horizon Indy on uh, YouTube, and then go to the playlist, and you'll find it. Or you can scan the QR code right now, and it'll take you to the playlist. Uh, today we're going to talk a bit about the Great Commission, uh, but there we talked more about uh, what it means to go and what it looks like to send missionaries on the mission field. We talked about what it looks like to live uh, contextually in our neighborhoods and how to contextualize the gospel. And we talked about, Jason Schultz actually wrapped us up and talked about how to love your little, literal neighbor, uh, how we can grow in that. So I'd encourage you. Uh, there's a lot that we won't be able to talk about today. Check those out. It's a good resource, I think. So we're going to take some time. And uh, just allow the Lord to stir up our hearts to go and to send our missionaries, as John writes in 3 John, uh, in a manner worthy of God. So if you haven't yet, you can open up Matthew 28. And then right after this, we're going to open up Mark 16 and read a couple accounts of the Great Commission. So Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went, in, went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And we'll flip over to Mark 16. We'll read starting in verse 14. 
Good to hear those pages flipping. Mark 16, starting in 14. It says that later he appeared to the 11, that's the disciples minus Judas, as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Ah, they're going to go from rebuke to calling. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so these verses are largely known as and if we look at the context of the Gospels, we see that Jesus has already fulfilled his first coming. He's died on the cross and he's rose again from the dead for our salvation, sealing it forever. And we see that he's about to, be, to ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And really, the end of these chapters is not the end of God's story. It's the beginning of a new chapter. Right? Christ is now calling believers his church, to continue his mission on the earth. All right, Christ has provided redemption and reconciliation with God, and now he calls us to take that good news of his gospel to the world that they may be saved. Right, it's a continuation of what he's done. We're not, obviously, we're not doing the exact same thing that Christ has done because he's the only propitiation. He's the only sacrifice for our sin. We don't do that in any way, but we reflect and model and image his mission, and we carry it out pointing to the one who saves and really, we see three basic parts of the Great Commission. First, we see preach the gospel. Second, we see baptize those who receive it. And third, we see disciple those who believe. Right? Preach it, baptize, disciple. It's not very far from know him, make him known. It's not very far from when disciples send. That vision that the Lord has given for this church, I guarantee you, was taken directly out of the Great Commission with other inspiration from Scripture too. But it's the same. And he says, do this everywhere, to all creatures in all places. And really, in essence, it's not a complicated commission. Right? It's not like a 50-bullet-point strategy where, you know, all this and all that's happening. It's go, tell people about Jesus. When they believe, baptize them, and then teach them more <laughs> about Jesus for the rest of their lives. Right? And Christ's promise is that he is with us to the end of the age, whenever we may be. Wherever we may be, Christ will be with us. And elsewhere, we read that Christ is with us in the indwelling and in the baptism of his spirit. We have a promise that this mission is his mission, and it's to be done in his power, not our own. And you could say it's as much a co-mission together with Christ in the power of the spirit as it is a commission for us to go. He's with us. So today, we're going to look at three kind of major points considering the great commission of reaching the world with the gospel that Jesus has given us. So we're going to focus on, first, why we go on mission. Second, who goes on mission. And third, how we go on mission. I guarantee you it's not going to be mind-blowing or some new strategy or some new program. It's simple. Why we go on mission, who goes on mission, and how we go on mission. So let's look at, first, why we go on mission. And on the face of it, the call of the Great Commission answers in and of itself this question. Well, why do we go on mission? We go to see the lost saved, baptized, and discipled in the context of the local church. I praise the Lord for parachurch ministries that are helping get the gospel out there and helping in discipleship and all those things. But inevitably, it happens in the context of the local church and not without the local church. But that's really what we go to do on mission. That doesn't necessarily answer the question why we go on mission. So let's take a step back. 
and try to kind of unpack that question. Well, why do we go? Well, because Jesus called me. Yes, but there's more to it. So to answer this question, well, why do we fulfill the Great Commission? We need to see first the purpose and the mission of the church. Now, we've already talked a little bit about the mission of the church, to go, preach the gospel, baptize, make disciples. But what about the purpose of the church? Those are two different things. And we may be inclined to say that, well, the purpose of the church is to fulfill the Great Commission in this world, being salt and light to the earth. And I wouldn't say, well, yeah, you're wrong. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, that is what we're in this world for. But we could distinguish that and call it the mission of the church. Why is this important? If evangelism, baptism, and discipleship are the ultimate purpose of the church, then what about eternity? Right? We don't see in Scripture that the church will be engaged in these things in God's kingdom. Right? We won't be evangelizing. Everyone will be saved. We won't be baptizing. Everyone will hopefully already have been baptized. Right? We won't be discipling. Christ will be discipling us. We will ever be knowing the depth of Christ and his glory from him himself. The mission will be complete. Well, does the church then lose its purpose in heaven? What do we exist for? Playing off of one of the old catechisms, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you exist. That's why I exist. Therefore, the church exists to worship and glorify God, enjoying him forever. Right? Today, tomorrow, and to all eternity, that's what we'll be about, right? You are worthy of, of it all. From you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. That'll be the song of heaven. We'll never get away from that. Individually, you and I, collectively, as Horizon Indy, as churches in Christ, that's what we're about. And it's out of this eternal purpose of worship that the mission of the church flows in this world. We go because here we worship. Um, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, Piper writes the following. We're going to throw it up on the screen because it's kind of a long quote, but he writes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We'll pause there and just reflect on how many missionaries have been born out of that one phrase. I know a few. And he goes on to say, when this age, the church age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship has always been and always will be the ultimate purpose of God in the universe. It has always been the fire that fuels our passion to reach peoples who do not worship the true God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? We see this in Ephesians chapter 1 where it's repeated several times to the praise of the glory of his grace. He's done all of this. He's elected us. He's saved us. He's called us, right? He's, he has adopted us to the praise of the glory of his grace. We see this in John 4 in his conversation with the woman at the well. We see this in Psalm 67, let the nations be glad. We'll come back to it in a little bit. This is what it's all about. Missions right now exist because worship in places doesn't. And really this distinction between the mission and the purpose of the church, it's important to take a step back and kind of consider it because it helps us avoid some false motives in ministry or in our daily life when we're going out to share the gospel with others or to water those seeds or to disciple those who believe, right? The scripture tells us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and we in our own flesh can do the right thing of going out and sharing the gospel with the wrong motives behind it. And let me share, if I may, a couple of ways that 
I've done that in my own ministry throughout the years with a false motive. It's a little bit heavy, but we'll get to the light. Right? One false motive for going out and fulfilling the Great Commission or being in ministry is that, well, God in some sense needs us. Right? If God has called me, then he needs me. It's a big one for me. It reveals itself in my own tendency to not entrust ministry to others. Because in my foolish brain, right, in my hard heart, I think that they can't do as well as I can. They won't be as effective as I would be. I've done it for years, and if I pass it on, well, there'll be growing pains and whatnot, right? God doesn't need me. We need God, right? God didn't need us when he was perfecting atonement for us on the cross, and God now doesn't need us to take that message of atonement to the ends of the earth. Jesus would do it way better than we can, yet, in his infinite wisdom, he's given that call to the church by the power of his spirit. I don't understand why. I mess it up more than I help, but he's called, and we get to join in that. We're going to talk about that more, but man, if I think that, well, God has called me because he needs me, that's a result of not believing deeply in the gospel. Right? I cannot entrust ministry to God. I can't entrust ministry to others because I haven't trusted in his ministry to me. I'm saying in my own heart that, well, that's not enough. I need to add to it. And if that's where I'm at, then wouldn't it follow that if I'm sharing the gospel with others, it'll kind of be a skewed gospel where God needs them too. Secondly, God didn't call us to live on mission so that we can somehow attempt to earn his favor through right living or prove that, you know, ah, he called the right guy. He chose the right man for the job or woman for the job to prove ourselves worthy. Also a big one for me. I, I have been shown, and I've seen this tendency in myself and missions or ministry, to, to use it in a self-righteous way. And most clearly, at least recently, in 2021, when my family and I, when we went to eastern Ukraine to plant a new church, I, and I recognized that, well, the church that we had previously been serving in, it's a smaller church, and I left them with some practical needs to be filled. And I felt that, well, I have to justify that decision to leave them with some needs with a successful ministry here. If it's a successful church plant and people are getting saved and people are getting discipled and sent out to plant other churches, then I can look back and say it was worth it. That is me trying to prove myself. That is not me seeking the Lord. And if some faithful brothers had not pointed that out in me and I'd continued in that, all kinds of bad things would have happened. I would have been frustrated with others because the things would, weren't going the way that I would want. I would have manipulated people so that in the end I could show myself successful, all for the sake of me having a larger church. You, you get what I'm saying? Right? Frustration and manipulation have no place in the, in the life of a pastor or the minister of, of Christ or Christians because it's a sign of not trusting the Lord but trusting in ourselves. And I told you it's a little bit heavy. <laughs> Let's get to the light. Let's get to rest in Christ. Why did God give us the Great Commission? Not because he needs us. Not so we can prove ourselves. There's a missionary who served in South Africa named David Bush. This guy was a legend. A goat, as it were. And as we know, that means greatest of all time. <laughs> it's not putting him down. He said, God's people are a missionary people because God is a missionary God. God's people, the church, 
are a missionary people because God is a missionary God. Let's reflect on that. God himself in Christ is the great missionary. He left his home, his glory. He left the pleasantness of the presence of his father. He left the safety of his own kingdom. He left the joy of a righteous kingdom, and he went into a distant and dangerous and dark land. John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm paraphrasing here, but the light came into the darkness, and the darkness didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. Jesus gave his comfort and ultimately his life. He took on himself the form of a servant and was obedient, even to the point of death on the cross, Philippians 2. We think of a missionary and think, oh man, it's somebody who's suffering for the Lord somewhere in the mountains. We think of Jim Elliott who gave his life. We think of those who are serving underground. That's not what it is all the time. Sometimes it's pretty nice. (laughs) But we think of them because they gave the most. Christ gave infinitely more than they ever could. They were just pointing to Christ with their own lives. God's mission of salvation exists because true worship in the world didn't. They took the sacrifices and they profaned God. They took the law and they broke it. Again, John 4, Jesus talking with the the Samaritan woman at the well, and he tells him, there's coming a day when you won't worship on this mountain, but you will worship God in spirit and in truth. That's why Christ came. The God of the Bible goes on mission. He doesn't just send. He does send for sure. But if you think about it, even in the book of Exodus, when, when God is calling his people out of Egypt into, well, through the wilderness into the promised land, he didn't just send them and said, I'll meet you there. He was with them in a pillar of fire and cloud. When he sent Abraham to go, he went with them. God always goes where he calls. And the reality is, is if we have received the sweetness of his grace through faith in his gospel, our life is changed. It will be changed, but it is changed. We are renewed in his image, Romans 12, 2. And because he is the missionary God, we cannot but become a missionary people. And we have to understand that the Great Commission is a command. It's a command to be obeyed. The king has called us. We must go. Anything else is sin. But it's more than that. The Great Commission is an invitation into a life of intimacy with Christ. It's an invitation into a life where we get to know the goodness of his own heart more deeply. Right? Mission is God's act of love in response to a fallen world. God sees suffering, he responds. God sees he sends salvation. God sees he sends Jesus. God is salvation. He came to seek and save the lost. And we not only have the blessing of knowing his heart and character through his salvation of us. We were that one sheep that he left the 99 for to come and save. But we also get to know the goodness of his heart by doing what he does. By being on mission together with him. Think about if you have kids. Think about your own kids. Maybe when they were little. Maybe they're little right now. It'll happen if you do end up having kids down the line. I have four kids, eight and under, right? And, I mean, they could spend all day with me. They could spend all day with their mom, right? My boys, if I had the stamina, they would wrestle with me from 6 a.m. to midnight. Whatever it is that daddy's doing, they want to do. Working on a car, you know, tinkering with something. They want to be right there with me. Whatever it is mommy's doing, 
They want to be helping cook food. They want to be helping wash the dishes, right? And so often it would just be so much easier to do it without them. <laughs> it's about 60% less efficient <laughs> when little kids try to help you do something, right? Like you're working on the car and it's like, yeah, hand me that bolt right there and they drop it into the engine. It's like, well, <laughs> that's me in ministry. <laughs> I'm dropping bolts into the engine in ministry, right? But the Lord doesn't say, go away. He says, it's okay. I'll pick it up. I'll get it on there. Don't worry about it, right? And, and we as parents, we're going through uh, First Samuel right now, and, and we've had an emphasis on parenting the last couple of weeks. If you haven't listened to them, check them out. But like we, ha- we as parents have to realize this, that when our kids are with us, maybe helping us cook food or wash dishes or fold the laundry, whatever it is, obviously we are helping, we're training them for adulthood, but they just want to spend time with us. And when they spend time with us, they become like us. And in the end, that is missions. That's the Great Commission. We get to spend time with our dad, seeing his heart, drawing near to his heart, doing what he does. When we mess up, he's got it. When we succeed, it's because of him. So God himself is still on mission, seeking and saving. Therefore, his call for us to reach the world is actually a call to be transformed into his image. Jesus was sent by the Father The Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son. And in John 20, Jesus says these just utterly profound words, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I cannot comprehend. I can't comprehend why the Lord Jesus would say those words, but he does. And praise the Lord that he did. His call to mission is an invitation to take part in the works and in the life of the triune God. It doesn't get any better than that. We see this in John 17, before the crucifixion. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5, with the ministry of reconciliation. We see this in 1 Peter 2, that we're a holy nation and so on, or a holy priesthood. We see it in many other places. The Great Commission is also an expression of our enjoyment and worship of Jesus. It's how we glorify him. It's a means of our sanctification. It's a path of rich obedience. You'll never regret obeying, obeying the Lord. It's a blessing given us according to the tender mercies of God, 2 Corinthians 4. So the church's mission is the outpouring of its purpose. We live on mission because we live in worship and delight of God. At the same time, we live on mission because others don't live in delight and worship of God. So this begs the next question, who goes on mission? All right, our hearts may be hopefully fired up. Who goes? And looking at the Great Commission, we may kind of start to form an answer to that question. And and looking at the call, preach the gospel, we may say, well, evangelists, those with the gift or the ministry of evangelism, they go fulfill the Great Commission. Or we look at the call, baptize them and make disciples, and we say, well, that's what a pastor does. A pastor is called. Are pastors and evangelists the only ones who are called to go fulfill the Great Commission? I think we all recognize that that's a bit silly, right? Uh, Even though maybe sometimes we wish that were the case, (laughs) we recognize that's not the answer. And consider for a moment who Jesus is speaking to. In Mark 11, or sorry, Mark 16, we read that he was speaking to the 11, the 12 disciples minus Judas. And he was telling them in the first context, you go preach the gospel to all creatures, baptize disciples. Could those 11 men, and then later Paul, could they go by themselves, and reach every person with the gospel. No. And in a similar way, it would be kind of minimizing the call of the Lord to say, well, only 
pastors and evangelists, only they're called. Let me ask you a question. Are you a believer in Jesus? You're called. You are a missionary. Whatever that looks like, wherever that is, you are called to go. It'll make sense in a second. Trust me, we'll get there, but you don't even need to pray about it. Am I called? We have verses on it. You are called. Now, we do need to pray about it because there is a very specific calling. Are you supposed to stay here? Are you supposed to go there? What does that look like? That will fall on our faces about. And let me encourage you with this. The majority of people in the world come to Christ not through like televangelists or crusades or even Sunday services. They have their place. Absolutely. Obviously. That's about 30%. 70% of people come to Christ through you. That's your friends, that's your families, that's your coworkers, that's your children, and so on. They come to Christ through you. So praise the Lord, it's not only pastors and evangelists who are called to go. That would be 70% less of the world that's reached. And we may read the call to reach all peoples and nations and all places with the gospel and get a little bit overwhelmed with the scope of it. Okay, where do I start? And with my personality, when I'm overwhelmed, I tend to freeze. And so often, in the face of such a great call, instead of doing something or anything, we tend to do nothing. Because I don't even know where to start. Well, we start with prayer. But in reality, we have what you could call a circle of influence that God has put in our life. That's just the people that's around us. For some, that may be a larger circle of influence. You're the pastor of a larger church. You do have the ministry of an evangelist. You're the principal of a Christian school. You're like recognized in your neighborhood for your faith and so on. Maybe a little bit larger. Maybe you're impacting the thousands. Maybe that circle is a little bit smaller. You're reaching your family. You're reaching your coworkers. You're reaching other students in your school and so on. And that might expand. It might shrink over time and seasons. It doesn't matter. What matters is who God has put in front of you. That's all. And praise the Lord for every person he puts in our path. But the truth is that no single believer is called to reach everyone. Yet, at the same time, no single believer is allowed to reach no one. And by reach, we don't mean save someone. That's between the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and their response to that. We save no one. We just scatter the seed, like the parable of the sower. We can and we must. We are called to go on mission right here in our neighborhood, whether that's Lawrence, the Geist area, Fishers, Fortville, Carmel, downtown, whatever that looks like, we are called to take the gospel there. And we must understand that the people at Kroger right here need Christ just as much as people in Africa do. Right? Uh, Jim Elliott, when he returned from a mission trip to Africa, he realized that people on the 56th Street bus need Jesus just as much as the people I just went to share the gospel with. People are desperate for truth here. People are desperate for Christ. And we live in a time and a place where we have the freedom and the honor to tell anyone at any time, at little to no cost to us, that Jesus loves them and wants to save them. That's not a burden that we bear. It's a freedom that we have because we get to be like God in that. And we just returned from Thailand and had the pleasure of speaking with believers from China who couldn't tell anybody, hey, I'm going to a Christian conference. But they came uh, from China and were sharing they are underground, right? And they know what it means to pay the price of evangelizing others. And I would encourage you, come with us next year to Thailand. Speak with people from Myanmar and China and Malaysia and Cambodia. 
it's life-changing. And it gives perspective. Maybe we will be there one day, but right now, you can tell anybody about Jesus. So we are called. You know, Jesus called us to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Right now, this is our Jerusalem. We can't neglect it. Over the next several months, going into the new year, we'll have more, hopefully, communication with you guys about what opportunities we have to get involved in the community here. We would love, absolutely love to hear from you what opportunities you see in your communities for us to get in and and reach out. But I do want to take a brief moment and show you a picture. This is a map of unreached peoples in the world, and each of those red dots, it kind of looks like, you know, a blob of red dots in some places, but each of those red dots represents peoples who have little to no access to the gospel, unreached peoples. Obviously, the, mo- the majority of that is the 1040 window, but even outside of the 1040 window. Those red dots right now represent three billion people in the world. Three billion people in the world have not heard, are not hearing, and most likely will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. Three billion image bearers of the Lord. And I want us to ask a simple question. Now, we said you don't have to ask us if God is calling you on mission, but we do have to ask, is God calling me to go there? I know that most of those places, it's a place where you can lose your head or you can go to prison forever. That's a radical question, but we serve a radical God. We have a week of prayer and fasting that we're starting today. And it's a time just to come before the Lord, just for him to mold our hearts. But there are some questions that we can ask him. And I think that it would be timely and pray to ask God to empower you to go on mission where you are, just to fill you fresh with the Spirit. But would you also consider asking God if you're called to go there? And maybe even ask God, call me there. The doors to some of those places is opening right now through different means. We can't get into all the details online. And over the next 20 years, we'll see access to some of these places that we've never seen before. There are ways that we can get into some of those countries. There are ways that we can give to some of those countries. About 1% of Christian donation towards missions goes towards unreached peoples. There are ways that we can give, and there's ways that we can go, and there's ways that we can pray and get into those countries. So would you consider asking as we fast and as we pray, that God would send you. Send you in a fresh way where you are, if that's Jerusalem for you. If he's calling you to go to Samaria or Judea, South Bend, Georgetown, some places where people have asked for us to come and plant churches, or whether that be the end of the earth. I don't care if you're 12 years old. The Lord statistically is calling most people between the ages of 12 and 25. That's when we feel the calling. So pray. A changed Indiana, a changed America, a changed world starts with knees on the ground in prayer to the Lord. So do our hearts long to see those three billion people, those around us, come to know Christ and find the same hope and joy that we have in him? Delight in the gospel will never leave us indifferent to people dying in sin because it never left Christ indifferent. So the last question is, now that we know who goes, how do we go on mission? I just We're going to end here really soon. This is not going to be a, 
hey, where can you go? What opportunities do we have or this or that? It's not going to be kind of super practical. Again, come talk with me, you know, check out the YouTube links. Just a couple quick points, nothing new, but may the Lord stir up our hearts. First, we go on mission empowered by the gospel. If you would, please open Isaiah 6. Time and time again, the Lord has brought me here. And we'll read from verse 1. Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when the posts of the door were shaken and the voice of him who cried out, uh, by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke, so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. I also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah had a difficult call to prophesy to his own people who were very hard-hearted and stiff-necked. Right? It was a terrible ministry to be called to, but what motivated, what inspired Isaiah to emphatically respond to that call, here I am, send me. His own experience of the glory of God and the atonement of his sin. He had a vision of God high and lifted up. In light of that glory and holiness of God, he saw his own sinfulness. I am undone, but he was also forgiven. It's the same with us. The thing that empowers and inspires us to live on mission daily is experiencing in our hearts the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, resting in his work of atonement through the cross. If that doesn't send us, what will? Isaiah then said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Interestingly, dwelling among a people with unclean lips. He saw himself in the same state as those around him. Having been forgiven, he desired to see those people in the same state as him. The gospel humbles us to see ourselves in desperate need of his mercy and his grace, just like everyone around us. We can never be better than anybody else if we recognize our own sin in light of the glory of God. Yet at the same time, the gospel humbles us and inspires our hearts to offer that same mercy that we've received to others. Right? Experience the gospel in your daily life and you will go on mission. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 7. They almost echo Isaiah's. We read, That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And we recognize today that is in Christ. The nations will only be glad and praise him in Christ. Now that's first, we go empowered by the gospel and never anything else. Second, we go on mission empowered by the Spirit. We read in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. He doesn't just say you will witness from time to time. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Right? The, the apostles up to this point were born again, had the indwelling of the Spirit, yet Jesus said, wait, don't go. You can't. Then the Spirit came upon them and they were sent. It's the power of the Spirit by which we can take a supernatural message Proclaim it in natural ways, and people will be supernaturally saved. Without him, we can do nothing. Right? So, as Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit. Right? Ask the Spirit, especially in this upcoming week. Ask the Spirit to make you sensitive to people, to needs, to opportunities around you, and I guarantee that the Lord will open doors that you never imagined possible. Whether that be doors here in your own family, like finally that one person that you've been praying for for 20 years has received the Lord, or whether it be God saying, I'm calling you to go to, I don't know, Iran. And I know that those aren't the most practical <laughs> answers to the question, how do we go on mission? But that's the necessary foundation. And I'm sure that you've experienced in your own life. Yeah, there's some details that we need to figure out. But when it comes down to it, it is never anything more than experiencing the gospel in your own life and being filled with the Spirit. Do these things, and you will go. Do these things, and you will be sent. Seek his word, seek his face, be filled with the Spirit, and you will go and you'll send for his glory, for the salvation of others, so that the nations may be led. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, just for your unending mercy to us. God, we don't even deserve to be saved. We never will deserve to be saved. We don't deserve the honor of being able to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus, the only name by which we may be saved. But Lord, you've given us that honor. And so we ask that as we see just the goodness of your word, as we reflect on the majesty of your cross and your resurrection, that our hearts would be inspired to go as you have gone, to go as you called, to go in the power of your spirit, so that you would be glorified and so that the nations would be glad. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen.